It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980. We're always live as well on the free Odyssey app. And it is a Monday at 5 o'clock. And really, lately, that's meant absolutely nothing. We've had barely had shows on Mondays and had scheduling stuff. But traditionally during football season, that's meant that we've had Michael Phillips. And looky, looky here, it's time to welcome back Michael Phillips. Today's top story from the perspective of someone who's there. You are looking live. This just in. Not my beat. Michael, welcome back to your home radio spot. Uh, it just doesn't feel right. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what to say about this. It's the normal time, the agreed upon time. Uh, I, I we haven't been here in so long. I, it, it feels, you know, like we got to break it back in. Yeah, I mean, should we do a proper warm up? I don't know what the the, the procedure is here. Do we just get into the football? What, what I know is, you know, I've been a radio guy for a couple minutes now. Yeah, uh, well, I guess it's September. Uh, last week was the first time. I really lost my voice while doing the radio show. Oh, that's and awful we, when you're solo. Man, we slogged through the week. It was uh, it was a slog of a week. So this was like a long-term thing, not like have you ever lost your voice straight up during a segment? Um, yeah, so we you know, I my producer I uh, helped uh, helped carry it obviously. Um and you know, we had stuff ready to go and guests, but uh yeah, there there was one segment where I we we didn't make the finish line. Yeah, Anthony, that is his nightmare, that if I lose my voice during the segment, because it's funny, because there's a lot of producers in radio that actually, like, are younger guys that, or gals, that want to become hosts, and that's actually their dream. Like, when I was a producer, (laughs) that was my dream, was I would like my my host to all of a sudden lose his voice, and then I'd have to do the show. And I just I would I would be Lou Gehrig and they would be Wally Pip, of course. Um, that was that was how it went in my head. Um, not hey, we'll get a sub tomorrow. That's not you. He keep hitting your buttons, you doofus. Um, this is actually Anthony's nightmare. This is something that comes up every once in a while. I have lost my voice for moments that Anthony's had to carry the show. Anthony, that is that is actually your literal nightmare is that you would have to host the show. Yeah, I mean, Anthony. I mean, for three Anthony. hours is crazy. <laughs> yeah, and, and they, there's only one line you gotta know and that is uh craig's uh craig's feeling a little something so we're gonna take a break we'll be right back. <laughs> hey, that's and a great uh, line too <laughs> yeah we've we've all been there all right uh so the commanders had about as good of a championship weekend in my opinion that they could have had of course it'd be nice to hire the super bowl winning offensive or defensive coordinator if the lions or ravens won or assistant head coach in anthony weaver's case if that's the direction they want to go but Michael realistically now every single candidate that they would like to interview is available they can hire their coach this week what is the latest that you are hearing as to take your radio host hat off and whatever is left of your reporter hat on what is the latest of in terms of what we're hearing in terms of a timeline and how realistic is it that by the end of this week and like when we have you on next week we're we're talking about a a new head coach the commanders yeah, I was laughing. This is actually my last formal week of duties for the Washington Times. I'll write some stuff when we're down at the Super Bowl next week, too. Um, but, I, you know, uh, the, the new kid, Liam, uh, said, hey, it looks like it's going to be your problem uh, as the Lions are up 24-7. to And then it became my problem once again, uh, which is not a problem because uh, <laughs> that's, that's my job. That's what I do. Uh, by my count, we've got seven uh, in-person finalist candidates on the board. I've obviously taken Raheem Morris off the board uh, for obvious reasons. He's been hired. 
Uh, you got the two Ravens guys, Anthony Weaver, Mike McDonald. You got the two Lions guys, Aaron Glenn, Ben Johnson, Dan Quinn, of course, from the Cowboys, Bobby Sloak of the Texans, and Eric Bieniemy was given a full in-person interview in-house as well. Uh, I would be astonished if it's not Mike McDonald or Ben Johnson, uh, not in that order, Ben Johnson uh, having the preference there. And I would be more astonished if this is not fully in the books by Friday afternoon when we all clock out. You don't, you don't need four days of deliberation on this. You've had, you've had weeks of deliberation. You get the in-persons with everybody wrapping up in Detroit tomorrow with Ben Johnson. Uh, they'll convene, they'll, they'll, they'll make their decision, whatever it is they want to do. Uh, I can't see any plausible reason you would need to take this into another week. I wholeheartedly agree, which is why uh, as much forward planning as we have done on this radio show, Thursday and Friday are completely blank slates as of right now. Um, you've heard, well, I, I think you've heard uh, like kind of this, uh, I don't, it's not defeatism, but like this... Uh, Inevitability. That's the right word. That's why you write in print and I sit here and blabber into a microphone. Although, <laughs> don't worry, Michael, you're just about to be another one of us as your duties at Washington <laughs> Times come to an end. There's an inevitability that it, this is spoken of, that it is going to be Johnson. But John Keim, who is as plugged in as anybody, obviously, and Adam Schefter, who is as plugged in as anybody, obviously, uh, the ESPN brigade has come out and been like, no, no, like this is not done. We understand that everyone's just connecting dots here, but... Uh, it has been made very clear that they are taking these interviews seriously, and this is not a foregone conclusion. And this group, the Harris group, has been very secretive and had things very buttoned up. What have you made of both the uh, the pushback uh, from some premier reporters that it is not a foregone conclusion and the general lack of information coming from the Harris camp? Yeah, and uh, it, this reminds me, there's a Simpson episode where uh, – Homer listens to vocabulary tapes and starts having like a really big vocabulary, but then he stops listening and he forgets what, what the words for everything is. That's going to be me after a couple of weeks. Of, uh, <laughs> I of thought you were going to say line. that was just me right then, right now, because that would also be it. That's, that was the problem as <laughs> I need to go back and listen to my vocabulary tapes. Anyway, uh, Michael continue. Yes. Um, I, look, you've got different sources who provide different information here, right? And uh, uh, you are absolutely correct. The Harris group is not, forthcoming with details and information and, and i commend them for that right everything they've done uh craig since uh, i guess when they took over uh has been designed to communicate to the public the fans uh we're not dan snyder uh, and this is just another way of doing that is running a nice buttoned up coach process where they take care of business quietly and professionally and bring somebody to a podium at the end of that process uh, that's not the way things have traditionally worked. So I think it's very important for them to do that. Now, the rest of the league continues chattering as normal. And of course, we are tuned into that chatter and dialed into that chatter. And uh, uh, definitely the rest of the league thinks Ben Johnson is the guy to get. Now, I would say this, the only competition at this point is, is Seattle. I also think this is not going to be a cycle where Ben Johnson goes without a job. Assuming he wants an NFL job, he's going to get one. And I find it hard to believe he sat out this whole process not knowing he, he's got an option when, when the music stops and everybody sits down in a chair. You look at all the jobs that filled last week, and some of those teams would trade their guy for Ben Johnson right now straight up. So that, that leads me to believe some communication has happened behind the scenes. I think it's also very important to – 
respect the process. And that that's your Adam Schefter reporting, right? Is they, they will respect the process and have an open mind as they go through these interviews. Uh, but at the same time, Ben Johnson is not still on the board because he's not an undesirable candidate. He is the desirable candidate. Uh, obviously, McDonald's giving him a run for his money right now. But in terms of him landing with a job, assuming he wants one in this cycle, he's going to get one. There's two left. That tells me he's got one of them. Right. So then that brings the Seattle side into this. How big of a threat realistically are the Seahawks to win the battle for Ben Johnson? Yeah. And if, if they want him, that, that, that could be a wild wrinkle here. And uh, Ben Johnson's agent is going to be incredibly happy if that's the scenario, because uh, you just add a couple more zeros to that check and that agreement and that commitment that they make. Uh, that's another spot. Seattle is where you've got a really well-run organization. Obviously, the Allen family, uh, Jody Allen's running that right now. There's a little bit of an ownership transition, but historically that has been viewed as one of the good spots in the league. So a last-minute bidding war uh, would be very good for Ben Johnson, uh, potentially very bad for the commanders, uh, but also uh, I think that you would you would say they can still get a really good coach, even if it's not Ben Johnson, whether that's Mike McDonald or somebody else. Michael Phillips, of course, 910 The Fan, MP on the mic, and wrapping up his uh, football season's worth of work for the Washington Times with us here on The Hoffman Show. I do think it's kind of funny um, the way the money works with this on the commander side of it because Josh Harris and company spent $6.1 billion, and that is cited as a reason as why they will now spend even more money uh, as opposed to being like, damn, now it's time to b- tighten down the purse straps because we just spent $6.1 <laughs> billion. But it, it does seem like that is the case. Like They spent $6.1 billion for this thing to return on investment, and they very much realize in order to have return on investment, they're going to need to do some more investing is kind of my sense of it. Do you get the same sense? Yeah, that, that's a great point. They're not going to get outbid. They're not going to lose Ben Johnson because they didn't pony up at the end when it matters. That That's not why they're going to lose it. I mean, if Ben Johnson ends up in Seattle, he'll have very legitimate reasons for wanting to be in that organization and, and wanting to participate with that group. Uh, one of those reasons will not be they, they offered me more money. Um, you know, you get to the finish line here. When you find your guy, you make it happen with your guy. Josh Harris knows how this works. He's done this in multiple sports now in multiple leagues. The return on investment of a great coach is one of the underrated things in sports, right? You look at, we often talk about, boy, how great is that college coach gig? You know, you go coach Auburn for three years, get fired, and they keep paying you for another decade. Uh, on the other hand, like Nick Saban, whatever they're paying him, I promise you that university made uh, you know, 10 times more than that on investing in Nick Saban over the years. No, that's a great point. Um, you know, and, and obviously I think you're seeing now, in San Francisco, obviously, in Detroit, and in some of these other places that have this incredible duo of of lead uh, front office person and head coach, right and cohesive, and all of that. That that's how you win, and winning, by the way, makes teams a lot of money, and that's ultimately the the goal, uh, both the winning and the money. Um, a few more minutes <laughs> yeah. with Michael Phillips here. Um, what, anything else from Championship Weekend uh, in terms of? McDonald and Johnson specifically, or or Aaron Glenn or Anthony Weaver, that you see that you think matters in this coaching search, or is this point the hay is in the barn and it comes down to these in person interviews? I'm not a huge believer in the 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 final final arguments uh, thing of like, well, what who did better on Sunday, go hire them. 
Uh, that said, Mike McDonald, let's just take a second to talk about Mike McDonald. 36 years old, all this guy did was pants Kyle Shanahan offenses all year. Like the, the smartest guy in football, like everybody, get me a Kyle Shanahan guy, run that offense. Every time he played one of them, uh, he just dominated them and tore them to little tiny pieces. Uh, 36 years old, by the way. Uh, very, very impressive. Plays Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes gets a couple out of the gate. They put up a big fat zero in the second half, and that's not because they were sitting on the ball. That's because he, he dialed it up. I don't know if he'll be a head coach in this cycle. What I know is those results are pretty dang impressive, Craig. Yeah, no, that is that is for sure. I I kind of wonder if he, like, obviously if he gets an offer, it seems like he's going to take it. He could have removed himself by now, a la Ben Johnson last year. But the one thing that I find really impressive about Johnson is he kind of took this year to study becoming a head coach. That's something Campbell has talked about is like Ben got a little more involved in some stuff, asked some more questions. He wanted to understand what it's like to be in that lead chair. And I almost wonder if, if he gets skipped over this time, it could be a blessing in disguise. And wherever he winds up next year is is a job that he's more prepared. Like obviously going to be more prepared, but if he can kind of follow the model that Johnson did, um, I, I do wonder if that winds up paying off for him. Uh, and also for him to like think about staffing and things that he's probably never thought of before. Like if I'm him, I try to do a little networking this summer because that is my one biggest concern for McDonald is like, who's his staff versus Johnson's got this tremendous tree because he's worked with under a bunch of different people with a bunch of different experiences. Yeah, that's why I think McDonald's not a terrible fit in Seattle. And if he gets that job, first thing I'd do is not fly to the facility, but fly to whatever vacation home Pete Carroll is in right now and be like, hey, you know how you're a senior advisor? What I want that to mean is like, why don't you actually come be a senior advising me? Um, you know, if you could get that Pete Carroll hand holding inside the building for a year, that would serve him really well at this juncture of time. And I mean, heck, that'd serve a lot of people well, uh, not just 36-year-olds, but uh, I can think of some older than 36-year-old NFL coaches who could benefit from, <laughs> from a year with Pete Carroll, too. Uh, but in terms of assembling a staff, you know, if you could keep him involved, I think that would make the job exponentially more more attractive from from both sides for Mike McDonald. Uh, but, but you nailed it. His, his star is not going to get dimmer. Um, what he did this year, if, if he has a successful year next year, this isn't one of those one bite at the apple things. We talked about that. I know we talked about that last week with Aaron Glenn where, hey, look, he may never get another shot at this. If he was offered a job, he probably needed to take it. I don't think that's the Mike McDonald story at all. He can be picky a la Ben Johnson, and, and it would serve him well in his career. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, all right, last thing uh, here with Michael. Uh, next week, by the way, we will preview the game more. When, when, by the way, what's your Vegas schedule? When do you get there? You yeah, so we get there. We get there Sunday night. So I will do the Monday okay. show in Vegas. So uh, when you, I don't know if you want to talk to me Monday night. Uh, we'll, uh, you know, I'll have your people call me. And I know you book up well in advance, but uh, I, I think what probably what we'll what week. we'll do is we'll try to just tape it. Uh, sorry to the audience, Michael might not be live, but the information will still be just as good. But we could just have you. Uh, we can we can set up a, a thing from Radio Row, and we can do it that way. Oh, oh during the week while you're there. Uh, we well we could do that. Or I was going to say you can just we can we can get you from your broadcast position. I'll sit in uh, my my home studio and we can tape a bit on Monday. Or we could yes. just shift you to later in the week and you could join me on set. Uh, we'll if, make it work. Uh, me, Media Night Monday does not start until 8 p.m. Eastern. 
So uh, there, there should not be any any time conflicts there, which is good news for all of us. Yeah, so we could either do that or we could do live on your way or from whatever you're doing between the end of your show and, and 8 p.m. Anyway, the thing I want to ask yeah. you about, uh, well, we, we can plan next week off the air. Um, I'm the one who did that. That's my fault, just to be very, very clear. Uh, but the... Other kind of NFL news from the weekend is the Eagles hired Kellen Moore, and obviously they got Vic Fangio. I think everyone's going to look at the Fangio hire and be like, yep, A-plus, got it. You hired the godfather of modern NFL defense. Good job, Nick Sirianni. What do you make of the Kellen Moore hire? I'm really glad you mentioned this um, because I do have a take. I like it. I like it a lot for the Eagles. I I think that if you're going to have a CEO coach like Sirianni, right, everything rises and falls on your coordinators as we learned last year into this year and shoot i mean detroit's going to go through that next year potentially uh you know have to have to you know weather that or see how well dan campbell hires but i like both of those hires i still like the roster a lot i still like jalen hurts a lot i know that's not what the audience here wants to hear but i will i think i saw the eagles as like 30 to 1 to win the super bowl next year Uh, i am bullish on that right now might might uh, be able to you know find someone in Las Vegas who can take some money on that bet. I just I've heard that's a place you can do such things. Um, I like Kellen Moore a lot. I like the Eagles a lot. I'm going to be honest with you, Michael. I don't love the fit. Yeah, that, you, you can. That's that's your right as a I, radio host. I will say if they had hired Arthur Smith, I would be uh, a lot more scared. Okay, I, I like that. A uh, little uh, little uh, difference of opinion. That's that's what makes good radio here. Uh, I, you know, Kellen was, was the rising star a few years ago. Didn't quite pan out that way. I, I think he's still got, you know, some, some fire in the tank. And I, I mean, the Fangio thing you mentioned, obviously, it goes without saying anybody is better than Matt Patricia at this point. So uh, if, if they had named a wet paper bag as their defensive coordinator, I would still be lauding that move on the air because it is not Matt Patricia. There is an incredible competition for worst Belichick assistant. You're not wrong. I mean, from what Charlie Weiss did, like I think Weiss and Patricia are the two one seeds, but there are other candidates. I mean, McDaniel's, but at least McDaniel's like went back. Every time he goes back to New England, he's an incredible OC. Um, now, granted, that was with Brady, but still, uh, he okay. did it. He's got a bunch of rings. Like Weiss left New England, never good at football again. Patricia left New England, never good at football again. You're telling me a University of Kansas graduate, proud Jayhawk, Michael. About I Weiss. covered you a Charlie Weiss season. Charlie Weiss. <laughs> I was in Lawrence for one of those. Yes, yes. It's uh, a it's the, a six months of my life. I'm never getting back. Turner Gill owes that guy the biggest thank you of all oh. time for not being the worst Kansas football oh. coaching hire of the 2000s. Oh, that is speaking of lists. Oh, the Belichick <laughs> Belichick assistant list versus Kansas. Uh, man, that's that's a summer show for you, sir. Um, and the Venn diagram meets at Charlie White. It sure does. Uh, Michael Phillips, everybody, uh, 10 a.m. to noon weekdays on 910 The Fan, which you can, of course, listen to on the free Odyssey app or on your car radio if you're driving down through Richmond. Uh, Michael, whether it is from Radio Row or on Radio Row, we look forward to talking to you next week. Uh, safe travels out to Vegas, and I'll see you there. Looking forward to it, Craig. See ya. All right, that is Michael Phillips, everybody. When we get back, back to the championship games, Anthony and I break down the AFC championship game next, the NFC championship game 
uh, at 5.45. And then ESPN Seth Walder joins us at 6. Uh, he is a big part of their analytics department at ESPN. And I uh, wanted to get his take on the Detroit Lions making fourth down decisions yesterday. Walder at 6 here on the Hoffman Show. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980. We're always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Oh, man. What a championship weekend in the NFL. Chiefs headed to Las Vegas to take on the 49ers after their win over the Ravens. San Francisco, of course, beats Detroit. Uh, and Anthony has come to the time in the week where we review the NFL, and there's there's just two games to to review. So we're not uh, talking about Taylor Swift? No. Like okay. we don't we don't have to. Plenty of other I'm people are going sure. to. We're also no. not gonna hate on her. Okay. Something all discussed in first and ten, by the way. If you missed the beginning of the show, solid like 25 minutes of analysis of all things. Highly recommend checking that out on the podcast. Uh, just search The Hoffman Show in your favorite podcast app. But no, Anthony, um, like here's the thing. As I said, as I said earlier, will there be a Taylor Swift segment probably at some point next week in Las Vegas? Yes, because I already texted Nora Princiati to come on the show. Yes. So here's my... Here's my two ideas. And people I will let people tweet me and 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 see which one they like more. But it, so Nora of course many people know the name cuz she used to write about the Commanders here in DC. Um she worked for the Washington Times for a very short time, did some awesome work and then was like I'm going to go to Boston and write about the Patriots and then eventually got hired by the Ringer and when she was at the Ringer her her like music and Taylor Swift interest turned into a thing and she is now like one of the go-to media people on all things Taylor Swift she hosts a podcast whatever but she still does NFL work so as I said earlier like she can as easily break down Kyle Shanahan's offense as she can the 10-minute version of whatever song is the 10-minute version so my thought was we can do one of two things one we can do a fun bit where I ask her one serious football question one serious Taylor Swift question and just alternate back and forth we just have a total yo-yo interview and go swift football, swift football, swift football. Or what actually might be, like, that's a funny bit. What actually might be more interesting is talking about fandom and talking about, like, what makes Taylor Swift so popular? What do, what do, like, Swifties have in common with diehard NFL fans? And, like, what has made each Taylor and, and kind of her universe and the NFL and its universe so damn popular in America? Like, I think that's actually a genuinely fascinating discussion. But I'm always up for a good bit. So, which one would people rather see? I don't know, man. That's tough. I guess I, we could we could put it up to the people themselves. Yeah. So, you can tweet me. You can email me. You can... I don't know. What other other ways people... I mean, I guess people could call the show. Yep. Um, I don't think we're going to take calls on that, but if you want to call the show and you feel really strongly and tell Anthony, like, hey, I've, Craig asked this question and I feel really strongly, um, we could we do that real quick. But yeah, that's going to be it. We're going to do like one segment. Maybe it'll be a double segment, so like 20 minutes at the most. And other than that, we're going to we're gonna talk about football all week. Sounds like a plan to me. Okay, cool. And now we talk about football. Uh, by the way, Anthony's kind of, I feel like a little disappointed. I feel like you want the full Swift breakdown. Nah, not yet. You not know, yet. I, I think I can wait. We got two weeks to, you know, yeah, get to it. So we got, pl- we got time. Yeah. 
We got time, bro. All right. Uh, AFC Championship game. Uh, I gave my big takeaways earlier, and what was the biggest thing for you? Uh, by the way, my biggest one was that like people need to realize the Chiefs are a defensive football team, and I thought that was the biggest difference in the game yesterday was how that defense played. Yeah, and I think it's I think you put it perfectly when you said they are a defensive minded team because in the second half I do feel as though they got a little conservative and they went into like win now mode and win now mode is more so you know running the ball killing the clock. Um, trying to, you know, sustain drives. And if you don't, you're just going to lean on uh, your defense. Also, um, field position was a huge thing. Uh, the Ravens often had to drive, you know, one of their drives was like from the one-yard line. So they didn't have any short fields. And I think that's more so uh, what, you know, Andy Reid and, and Spags was, you know, okay with, you know, having those guys actually have to, you know, drive the length of the field. And the Ravens, for some reason, you know, they couldn't get things going. And when they did, Lamar would take a a, a timely or bad sack or, you know, the Zay Flowers fumble. That was huge. Uh, that would have been a huge difference in the game. But I think I, I look back to the end of the first half. I look back at the, the penalty by, uh, by Jones um, roughing the passer. That extended that drive. And then uh, it was another play at the end of that half. Um, that allowed the Chiefs to, you know, continue to move down into field goal range. So I, I think those three points at the end of the half were, like, crucial. Oh, it was the the Van Noy. Uh... Yep, at the start of the drive. Yep, that yeah. was it. Yep. Yeah, so whatever two, that, that was, unsportsmanlike. Yeah, so those two plays right there, you know, ultimately uh, changed the how the game was going to be yeah. played because they had a two-possession lead at that point at the end of the first half. So, um yeah. To me, it's about Ravens' mistakes. Like, yeah, I think the, on the credit side of, of the ledger, you have credits and debits, right? Mm-hmm. Credits, Chiefs defense. Yeah. Credits, the way Mahomes and company came out. And, like, I don't, I think it's hard to overstate how good Travis Kelsey was in that first half. Like, it's not just that he caught a bunch of balls, and he wound up with, what, 11? 11 for 116. And, that's a, and 11 targets, right? Yep. Did he wind up getting a 12th target that he dropped? No, it was 11 on 11 targets. And so, yeah, he was incredible. But, like, his first five catches of the game were the first play of the game, drive starter, always really important. Uh, then you had two, no, three third downs and then a touchdown. Like, and the third downs were insane, though. Yeah, got to have it. Yep. Like, when you got to have it, Kelsey got it. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's that's big. So you got the credit there. And then, as I said, like, the biggest piece of credit is the Chiefs defense holding this Ravens offense that's been studly all year to 10 points but I do think you make a great point and like the Ravens beat themselves in a lot of ways and that's got to be really frustrating for them as a group because they have been a team that's kind of been the bully all year and I mean some you know this is I don't know whether this is actually true with bullies Um, I haven't read any parent enough parenting books because it's not a part of my life yet but we know the old saying, at the very least, is to beat a bully, you you like you bully the bully. Mm-hmm. Like the best way to defeat a bully is to punch him in the face, and um, certainly that worked yesterday for the Chiefs. And it started pregame. Like you know, I, I just was scrolling Instagram in the break there, um, and I saw the soundbite from Justin Tucker being like, you know, I thought all that pregame stuff was was in good fun, but they seem to be taken a little bit more seriously. And there's kind of that little bit of like, wait, are these guys crazy? You know, you kind of got that vibe early with, like, Mahomes and Kelsey. It's like, no, man, get out of our end zone. Like, this is our side of the field. Yeah, you, yeah, sure. Okay, you can warm up, but, like, not where we are. 
This is our stuff. Get out. Like, no, seriously, get lost. Yeah. Like, no, like, I'm sure, I'm sure when Travis does the podcast on Wednesday that they will, he'll be like, I have so much respect for Justin Tucker. Like, it's just part of the game. Like, he's the greatest kicker ever. Like, Travis will be incredibly humble and um, not deferential. Um, he'll, he'll give Justin uh, Tucker his flowers because he deserves them because he's the greatest kicker of all time. He might go to the Hall of Fame as a kicker. He's that good. Um, but, like, eventually you're a competitor. And, like, Mahomes, same thing. Like, oh, yeah, you know, greatest of all time. But, like, at the end of the day, like, we're just trying to send him, like, we don't we don't mess around and, like, he was in our way, so we we got him out of the way. And so I think that from from go, and also, like, you know, there's a, with Mahomes, there's a little bit of that, the MJ thing that we saw during last dance. There's a little bit of that. He's got to get himself riled up. He's a competitive psycho, which is as high of a compliment as I can give a competitor. Um, and I remember the CBS guys on pregame being like, you know, don't poke the bear. And it looks like someone just poked the bear. Like Justin Tucker was just doing his warm up. He wasn't trying to poke the bear. The bear, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, when you're in the backseat of the car with your little sibling and it's like, you know, hey, you guys play nice back there. Don't touch me. And you grab their hand and you, you poke them. It's like, so-and-so poked me. Like, that's, that's what Mahomes did to the Ravens. And then he destroyed them early in that game. Um, but the, the other thing I'll say, too, about the, the penalties and stuff is, outside of the Van Noy one, I thought they were all good calls. And the Van Noy one wasn't a bad call. It's, it's just the one where you're like, man, it's the playoffs. Like, relax. Mm-hmm. People are, it, it, it's fine. But technically, it was the correct call. And I think that that Ravens fan, I have no doubt there's a bunch of sad, sore Ravens fans today. And that's not to make fun of Ravens fans. Um, it's much fun as that is sometimes. Um, it's That's every fan base the day after they lose. But it's a lot of like, blame the refs. They suck. They screwed us. The Isaiah likely, that yeah, there should have been a PI on that play. But like, that's not a bigger play than Zay Flowers fumbling. That's not a bigger play than Zay Flowers taunting, which is 1,000% the right call. And those plays are the ones that cost you. And that, to me, is kind of what happens yesterday is the Chiefs are just solid in what they do. The Ravens beat themselves, and the final score reflected that. Yeah, in terms of, like, the Ravens beating themselves, that's been, like, consistent all season. I feel like the games that they've lost – they lost to the Colts. They had a couple. Lamar had a couple of fumbles um, in that game. They lost to the Steelers. He had a couple of fumbles. They lost to the Browns. A couple of interceptions. So it's more so the Ravens. You know they could have went out and won this game. It's and and I was talking to Zaire about it. <laughs> he made me feel a little you know dumb for saying it. He was like because I, I had pointed out that the Ravens had three turnovers and the Chiefs didn't have any. And he was like, yes, that's you know winning the turnover battle. And I was like, yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, it's so funny. Like, it sounds so cliche. That's it, what it does, is. and it's like we got to be better than this in terms of the analysis. But like, it really is. I was having this conversation actually with Landfill today. Um, you know, producer for for B Mitch and Finley. Uh, for those that don't know, um, but I was talking to to Mullins about it because um, we were reminiscing about the Alex Smith trade. I can't remember what happened. We were, I think we were making jokes about um, Reed and you know, oh darn, he's not going to trade uh, Mahomes to the Commanders now. I think is how that started and. Landfill is just being a goofball. Um, but then we started talking about actually reminiscing about the Alex Smith trade. And I was like, you know what? I'm so glad I covered him because he made me realize the value of possession. And, you know, he was 
pretty bad statistically through the nine games that he basically got to play um, before the injury. And they were, you know, it happened in the ninth game, but they were six and two to that point. So in those eight games, like he had barely thrown over 200 yards in any of those games. Like he was awful statistically, but he never turned it over. And he converted some first downs and like played the shortened the game a little bit, but it just, it was ugly. But you realize the value of that. And I think it's why, you know, all these players like to make fun of me, the media for simplistic and oh, you know, okay, win the turnover battle. But it's like, then they get in the media and what do they do? Players, coaches, they give you the same stuff. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's actually the most important thing. And, you know, how you go about doing that, how you set yourself up for success is like the deeper next level layer of analysis. But I mean, that's huge. The, the, and it, by the way, it's the biggest factor in the other game too. Jameer Gibbs doesn't fumble. They think the Lions are going to the Super Bowl. Yep. Um, and the time and like all turnovers hurt, but the timing and the placement on the field and all that stuff is super duper important too. And the Ravens, you know, obviously about as bad of a place as you can fumble is inches from the goal line. By the way, speaking of that play, sidebar for a moment. For every single person that tells me we can't change the touchback rule on the fumbling the ball out of the end zone because you don't want guys to reach for the goal line without consequences. Guys are going to reach for the goal line. Zay Flowers reached knowing the consequences, and yes, he suffered them because the Chiefs actually recovered the ball. They had to complete the whole thing. And if that ball had been recovered in the end zone by the Ravens, I believe it would have gone back to the spot of the fumble because you can't advance the ball on a fumble. So your argument that, well, guys will just reach for the pylon, reach for the plane, that's what they do. And if you, the defense doesn't recover it, they shouldn't get the football. End of story. Please change that rule this offseason. Okay, thanks. Uh, we'll talk about the NFC game next on the Hoffman Show. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app, reminding you that you can come see us live on Friday, 106.7 The Fan versus the Team 980 live at Bethesda Theater, your favorite radio shows, together for one night and one night only, off-air, on stage, and uncensored. Plus, if you haven't heard the big news Commander's defensive tackle Jonathan Atlin is going to join us on stage as well. Tickets are on sale now at BethesdaTheater.com. We're presented by Main Street Bank. Cheer local bank local. Visit or put their team in your office. Visit MStreetBank.com for more information. Again, John Allen joining us Friday for our live event. Uh, our plan is to do the show from the event uh, beforehand, so um, doors aren't going to like we'll probably be done by the time the doors open, but I don't know. Who knows? Anthony, maybe people can just come hang out and see our show on Friday. If you have a ticket to the the event, can we just open the the place early? Uh, that would be dope. It would be. I don't think that's how this is gonna work. No, nope. that seems that seems like it would probably be some more cost incurred and uh, some complications of sound checks and whatever else we got to do. I'm trying. There is there is a fun game that I think is gonna make the final cut. I'm just gonna say that. A fun game that I'm going to host at the expense of other people. I really want to get a, a small game show mic. I want a Bob Barker mic. Like one of the little tiny mics like James uh, Smith-Williams had? No, no, no. Not like the, the tiny social um, media mics. Like 
Bob Barker, like from uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, not Wheel of Fortune. Uh, Big Wheel, Plinko, Price is Right. Price is Right. Yeah, it's only the music is only sitting right here. <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> anyway, the point is, uh, we won't have a Price is Right game. We will have some fun games. I. I, I don't I don't want to say too much yet. I just it's going to be a great time. It's all uncensored. It's all off air, and uh, hopefully no one gets fired or there's no fights. That's that's what I'm hoping for. I know nothing other than I'm supposed to show up and eventually talk about football. So there's that. Uh, all right. Speaking of talking about football, the NFC Championship game, and again I gave my full breakdown of it earlier. Biggest takeaways I should say earlier in first and ten. But like what what to you was the biggest thing yesterday? Uh, momentum is definitely a thing. Uh, and also I just, funny you say that because, uh, there's going to be a big talk about momentum in our visit with Seth Walter at the top of the hour from momentum, the it's, analytics department, man. Um, but I just think Dan, Dan, he didn't, I'm not going to say he didn't have a feel for the game, but I feel as though the first fourth and three might've been, I mean, fourth, fourth, the first fourth down um, attempt might have been more, you know, understandable because it's in the first half. The lines are rolling. All they have to do is really, uh, you know, Josh Rangers just have to hold on to the ball. The second one, I think the Niners had just taken the lead. You can, you know, tie it or you can, you know, go for it on fourth and two. Ultimately, they didn't get it. Um, but I just feel as though in that moment, I think you go for the tie. You lean on your defense to try to go out there and get a stop. Um but at the same time, you can't be too criti- critical of him because of, you know, that being what got them just there. But I just think just understanding uh, the time, the situation in the game, the momentum has swung. I think you take the points as opposed to being uh, uber aggressive. So here's, here's what I would tell you on the second one. I think if you have a better kicker, I agree with you. I, I think that you are just in a better position not being down. But... It's not like it's not guaranteed that you make the kick. And I think sometimes when people go for it and they don't get it, the uh, the uh, what people think is the alternative path is you gave up 3 points. You didn't. You gave up a chance at 3 points and something that uh from that distance, especially outdoors uh in San Francisco where the wind is notoriously whippy and um with Michael Badgley who's just not that good of an NFL kicker and has a very very short like he's He's hyper-accurate from short distance, but he does not have range. A 48-yard field goal is, for him, like on the season, like a 70% proposition. So I, I think to say or to, to pretend like that's not a huge factor is, is incorrect um, and missing a, a huge part in the decision. Um, but I will also say this. Though, so the first one is first drive of the second half. And to go up three scores... I do wonder, and this this is the thing that um, I want to say the analytics don't capture, um, but here's where it gets muddy, right? Is does it change the strategy for Kyle? Down two scores, you can still be really aggressive running the football. Like the, the 49ers are still the 49ers. If you're up three scores, does Kyle feel the need to be a little bit more aggressive and drop Purdy back, or does he stick to the game plan? And that's where 
to be clear, the analytics factor for that, what analytics do is tell you if you do this and you get it, your win probability is X mm. based off the entirety of whatever data set you're looking at, which is not quite the entirety of NFL history, but like decades of data at this point. If you're up by X amount at this point in the game, you're going to win it 70-whatever percent of the time, yep. right? And if you miss the the kick or you miss the fourth down, it's this. If you make the kick, if you get the fourth down, it, it adjusts your win probability, and you have to look at that information and make a decision. Um, and you even have a, a uh, kind of a, a an analytic that takes all that into account and is like, you should go for it. And that's what the analytics said. The ESPN's model had it as 0.3% go for it. So you could really justify either way. But where I think the coaching element does come in is understanding who you're playing against and where the strategy. And like you have to know Kyle Shanahan well enough to know making this affects him how. And if we don't get it, what does that do for him? And it's not so much about momentum versus it changes the way the game is played strategically. And that's where the analytics are important to consider, but having a good scouting report to match with it can inform your position, especially when it's close, especially when it's just a 0.3% more success here or there. Um, but it's like, it's a 50-50 proposition, right? Because it's like, you know, if it's if it's 50.1 versus 48.8, that's 0.3 difference that says you should go, but it's still pretty 50-50. And so if you know that there's more reward on one side of that equation, like you have a coach who's going to get do something dumb, if you get the three points, you're maybe more inclined to get the three points. So it's hard. It's, there's a lot to it. I don't think I actually did that great of a job of explaining it there, but like the strategy element is hard. But I think the bigger factor is, Again, the identity piece of it's who they are. It's all, His team is ready for those moments because that's who they are. And the bigger factor is like, you know, they they have a drop. That's brutal. It kills them. And then on the other side of it, you know, 49ers go down score. And then Jameer Gibbs fumbles on the first play. Like if the Lions are just able to sustain a drive there, they might win the football game. Mm-hmm. And if they get a field goal on that drive or a touchdown or even just punt and pin San Francisco deep, but they like they get a couple of first downs. It's not what happened. And so I think that's the bigger thing. Like the Detroit mistakes in the second half, which is why like if people want to take shots at Ben Johnson today, he called a great game. They scored yeah. 31, and they probably score 40 if they get Josh Reynolds to catch two balls and Jameer Gibbs to not fumble one. Like that's what that was the difference in the game. Yeah. Um, and not to put it all on those guys, obviously the the defense could have stepped up. I talked earlier about how I think Aaron Glenn made a strategic error in changing something he was doing that was working. Um, but that, to me, is where that game goes sideways. All right, let's get to this conversation with Seth Walder, uh, ESPN analytics guru, next on The Hoffman Show.